Lord, it's tough for us to forgive seven times. If the same person offends us in the same day seven times and comes back asking for forgiveness, it's tough for us to forgive. Yet we come before you once again this day with not just seven offenses, but a whole lifetime of sin. And it's only because of your son, Jesus Christ, that we dare ask for your mercy. It is also because of him that we trust that you, as our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, always forgive our sins because of Christ. And as we come together to receive that forgiveness in word and sacrament, we rejoice that we are here this day as those forgiven by Christ and therefore those who are called to be your children. So as you read this word of John, teach us once again to see our Savior Jesus and trust in him alone as our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, we, like I said, we got through the first part of John 5 last week um, where we have a man, an invalid. It's kind of a strange text to, to work through, which is why I'm glad to assign it to him. And um, there's this guy healed at this pool, right? Somehow, and, and it's the strangest interchange in the world because Jesus walks up to this guy who is an invalid. And he's like, would you like to be helped? And what does the guy say? I have no one. And Jesus is kind of standing there going. And the guy's like, I don't got anybody to help me. And Jesus is standing there going, hello, I, I, me. <laughs> How about me? Right? And so the, the story is, is just kind of strangely told in that way. So obviously the guy, Jesus heals him. So let's, let's pick it up after. Any questions from last week as you, as you talked about the healing miracle? Did you guys get through the whole Sabbath discussion? We got through 17. Through 17? Oh, he just only did the healing part. Okay, well, we're going to recapitulate then. Sorry. Well, then you'll know all the answers, which is great. Okay, so let's, let's go ahead and read 9 through 18, and then you guys will know all the answers. That'll be cool. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, and that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who had said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sit no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing thing, these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. One more. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal to God. Thank you very much. All right, so now you guys know all the answers, so it'll be fun. Number one, why does it matter that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath? Because it's work. What's wrong with working on the Sabbath? 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Which means we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching or His Word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it and don't pick up your mat. <laughs> that was the other laws. And where were those laws found? Not in Luther's small catechism. In the Torah. Okay? So in the books of Moses, especially in Exodus 31, it says plainly, if you work on the Sabbath, what's the punishment? Death. If anyone works on the Sabbath, he shall be put to death. That's what God says in Exodus 31. So this isn't just the Pharisees making stuff up. This is actually from the Old Testament that if you work on the Sabbath, you die. Okay? Yes, sir. I guess you could argue that you weren't working just carrying that. That doesn't seem like much work. Okay, good. So then the question became, all right, God said you can't work. Who defines what work is? Well, when it gets to questions like that, who do you ask? The pastors, and they are happy to talk for hours and hours on what they think a word means, right? That's our job. So, so pastors and the theologians like to talk about words. So what happened is the rabbis, the rabbis defined what work is. Okay? And this is actually written down in a book called the Mishnah. Okay? And the Mishnah actually defined what work is so that you knew what you could do and what you could not do on a Sabbath. And they even defined how many steps you could take, how much weight you could carry, how you could go about carrying stuff. So um, there was a whole bunch of laws, and obviously they got bigger as they went, where the rabbis um, interpreted the Old Testament and they, they defined what work is. And sure enough, carrying your mat was one of the things that was forbidden in the Mishnah. It's just not allowed. We had a really fun experience with my husband and I got to go to Israel with a tour group and we were staying in a hotel that had many floors, you know. It had a Sabbath elevator. Yeah. And if you got on you soon learned what the Hebrew letters looked like. It indicated the Sabbath elevator because the elevator stopped to rest on every floor. Right. Because it, you have to rest, yeah. Like 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, you push so it Bob told us this last yeah. week. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It was, I wasn't here. It was work to push the button. Right. Yeah. So they just made it stop automatically so you can get on. Because you get on and off. So you're not, so you're not actually working. Like See? Okay. No, that's good. It's, it's good. That's, it's a good story. Okay. Isn't that the fun thing? So, like, we're not allowed to work, but the Gentiles, that's fine. Okay? <laughs> so, but the, the point is, and I know you guys talked about this last week, so we won't, won't belabor it too much, is that this isn't just some made-up charge. This is actually them saying, well, God said this, and you're doing this. What's up? Okay, so sometimes we get a little too quick to kind of just say the Pharisees are making the whole thing up and Jesus was like, you guys haven't read the Old Testament. That's not true. They were reading the Old Testament every day. They had good reasons to say what they were saying. And Jesus was doing things that, that were totally against what they thought the Old Testament was teaching. So we talked about in the 
before how these were like buffer laws uh-huh. to keep you from breaking Good. God's law. So did they hold these laws as high as those, I guess, so that it was such a huge offense to be carrying them out? Yes. So, so what happened was, again, what, what Angela's talking about is the Ten Commandments, right? That's what God said in the Torah. That's the summary of the law. You can't break. If you break those, what happens to you? You die. No ifs, ands, or buts. You can't even defend your case. If you break that, you die. Period. That's the way it goes, right? Um, another way to say that is you're not God's people. If you break these, you're not God's people. And he's not your God. Which, by the way, not good. That's called hell. Okay? So the Pharisees and the rabbis, as, as they grew, they said, well, let's not break, we don't want to break these. So we'll make these laws that stop you from even coming close to breaking these laws. Right? And they're like, well, yeah, but if you sneak into this, you might accidentally trip and break that one. So we're going to make these laws that stop you from breaking these laws, which are oh, a step away from breaking these laws. And this is what becomes known as the Pharisaic law, as these out here. So there's over 400 laws that they stop you from doing things so that you don't mess up enough that you accidentally break one of the Ten Commandments. Okay? You guys know, this is, in, in Lutheranism, this is called youth group. <laughs> the goal is that you don't have sex. So what we're going to do is don't hold hands because that will lead to kissing. And that, we all know, will lead to got that guy's hands going places it shouldn't go. And then pretty soon, we're pregnant. That's how we do youth group every Sunday in every church in America. <laughs> And it's just Pharisaic laws saying the goal is this, therefore all these things. Okay? And what happens is the kid comes to a youth group the next day and goes, well, she was really cute, so I held her hand. Is that okay? And then what does the youth worker say? Oh, that's fine as long as you didn't. Right? And that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, don't do this. If you do this, you're really close to that, so you're in the danger zone. If you, if you stay outside of this, you're good to go. Right? So, don't do drugs. Well, can I, can I smoke a cigarette? Can I, now that it's legal, can I do CBD or marijuana? What? Yeah, yeah. And we start making all these rules. And I'm saying, well, well, here's the thing you can't do. You know that. What about this? I wouldn't, because you're close. And that's, I mean, I'm not being goofy. That's actually how we approach law. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. But didn't the Pharisees realize that we can't keep the Ten Commandments? And no one... No, they did. Because of this, they never broke these. Paul, Philippians chapter 3. According to the law, I am Perfect. Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3. So, so what happens is they did it. They found the system. We won't break the second commandment. We won't take the Lord's name in vain. How? We just won't ever say it. Right? Like, yes! And then Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. They're like, yeah, we rock that one. And he goes, if you ever looked at a woman lustfully? And they all went, we do not like you at all. <laughs> what about murder? It's like, oh, for a good person, I never killed anyone. It goes, oh, yeah? 
you ever hated your brother, had an evil thought in your head, or said, you fool, you're guilty of murder. And they went, we really don't like you. <laughs> See, what happened is that everyone thinks that Jesus is the nice God and the Old Testament is the law God. No, no, no. When Jesus came and he talked about the law, he said, you have no idea. You have no idea how pervasive this law is and how much you have broken it. You have no idea. It's way worse than you think. You think you found a system to keep these Ten Commandments? And everyone's like, yeah, we did. And he goes, you don't understand the commandments. Right? Because sin is not about saying, here's the danger zone, I've avoided that issue. No, sin is something in us that has corrupted us so that all of our thoughts, all of our actions, right? All of it. It's not individual sins. It's that we are sinners. See, that's, that's the issue that they can't understand. But remember, when Paul was talking to the Pharisee, he says, I never broke these. And he doesn't, he doesn't ever back down from that. Paul says that all over the place. He's like, according to the law, Perfect. But how does it go on? Paul says, but my keeping of the law, rubbish. It means nothing. Because that's not how God and I relate. It's Christ Jesus and him alone. See, the goal is not keeping the law in a way that you can tell God you've become perfect. That's not the goal. And it never was. It's a promise from God to us. It's a gift of our loving Heavenly Father to His children. And so is the Sabbath, right? All right. Does that make sense? We good? Okay, number two. So why did Jesus hide Himself? You guys did this last week. You know the answer. Not yet. They just healed at this point. But yes, eventually that's why. There were lots of people. Lots of people around. There's a crowd. So why would he hide himself? This seems like one of those quiet miracles. One of those that he's not. He's not. Right, it's not a show. So why is Jesus hiding himself? Why is he not saying, hey, everybody, look what I just did. I healed that guy. Because it's not his time? It's not his time. Good. So it's not time, right? He keeps saying, my hour has not yet come. What is his hour? It's when he is enthroned as king. And when is he enthroned as king? When they put the label above his head that says, this is Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. So Jesus continues to do this. He's like, no, it's not time. It's not time. And the disciples are like, ooh, this is it. And he goes, (laughs) no. No, that's not it. It's not it. Okay? And then this... This is actually it. The entire gospel points to this is the time when Christ is enthroned as king. This is the hour to which he came. And this is when he actually fully accomplishes the work of God. His incarnation, his perfect life, his miracles, his teaching. It's 
all leading up to this. Right? Can you have the cross without the perfect life? Do you have the cross of Christ without his perfect life? No. Do you have that without the incarnation? No. Do you have that without the Old Testament prophecies? See, you can't say it's this and therefore not those things. It's this as a culmination of all those things. Can you have the cross without the resurrection? Nope. Can you have the resurrection without the cross? Can you have that without the ascension? Nope. Can you have that with the second coming? Nope. See, it's all together. This is God's plan in Christ Jesus. All one big unit. So for us, we now live looking back at the cross, looking back at the resurrection, looking back at the ascension, looking back at the perfect life. But just as sure those things happen, your Savior is coming back. Second coming. Just as sure as those things accomplished. I know you guys have given up on it. Because it hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. Come on, are you kidding me? But we have to believe the same Christ who promised and did these things is the same Christ who promised to come back. So it's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. Right? Does that make sense? So, so he hides himself because his hour is not yet coming. We're going to see how this works through the rest of the gospel. So number three, what causes bad things in our lives? Sin. Now, this is Jesus not being sensitive to people with disabilities. We get all kinds of issues today in our world. There are actually people who don't like the Bible because it says that things like blindness and deafness are things that need to be healed. And people are now upset with that, saying, how dare you say that? How offensive that Jesus came and healed the blind. He should affirm them in their identity as blind people. Well, it's like, wait a minute. It, see what we've done? We, we cannot allow even things that we all perceive as being not the way we were created to be. We can't even admit that now. We have to say, no, everything's great. No. We are broken. We are broken people. I'm broken. And that's not okay. That's not the way God made us. And what do we call that that has affected all of us in our lives? It's called sin. Does that mean that you are sick because you sin more than me? No. <clears throat> but it does mean that you are sick because of sin. And you are going to die one day because of sin. And I'm going to die one day because of sin. And Christ died because of sin. sin. Weird, isn't it? But he's the only one who died without sin. sin. That's the difference. He doesn't die with sin that he has in of himself. He dies taking upon himself your sin. The whole world's sin. Don't know the answer to could'ves. <laughs> All we know is what he did. I don't know. It doesn't talk about that. All it know. All we know is that he died. With I mean, we have verses that explain this in such ways that he who knew no sin 
became sin for us, right? Or in Galatians 3, the curse that belonged to us was put upon him. So now you're getting into some kind of weird... I mean, you really do sort of start plumbing the depths of Christology when you ask those kind of questions, and it, and it gets to a point where this is actually what happens with when we get into Christological heresies, which are false teachings, is that we start going, doing what... Yeah, but... Yeah, but... And then, and then you start making stuff up. You're like, well, God can't sin there, or God can't die, therefore the divine nature of Christ. And then you start going weird. Okay? All we know is what he did. Does that make sense? Because I don't have any idea. God didn't tell me. You know, in a lot of the Bible, he's healing people. Yeah. After they're healed, he's safe them and sin no more. Right. Stop sinning. And then it says... so. On this one, it says that nothing worse may happen to you. Right. So, is is that saying that people let's let's say that are born with leukemia or some disease, whatever it may be, right? That God is punishing that person for. Let's go to John chapter nine. <coughs> the very beginning of John nine. John 9, verse 1 through 3. So, read that. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, there's your question, right? That's your exact question. Yeah? Okay, and Jesus answered. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. See, what happens is we we don't get into the business of asking questions like, well, this person has this condition, therefore we're going to assign to them more blame or less blame or whatever. No, 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 no. What do we do? We get our eyes and we say, who's the one that can heal brokenness? It's God. It is his glory to break to, to fix brokenness. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so, the, so we don't go around saying, oh, well, you're whatever. I don't want to label anybody that it's made offended by, but you're, you're a Nebraska fan, which I, can't, I just can't imagine my life, right? <laughs> so there's something wrong with you. Yes. Yeah, right? That must be your parents. If, you, know, you did something. No, we don't, we don't do that. We do not do that. I know I've told some of you guys this story before, but I was visiting a, a really good friend of mine in North Carolina who was dying of cancer, literally dying of cancer. That's not a metaphor. She was literally dying of cancer. And she, she didn't grow up Lutheran. So her, her previous pastor, her Pentecostal pastor, walked in and literally looked at her and said, what did you do? And she said, I, I, nothing. And he said, well... If you wanted anything wrong, you wouldn't be laying there. And he said, and if you believed enough, your prayers would have worked and you would have been healed. And I literally, I'm not kidding you, I got up and I said, get out! Good for you. I said, you are not speaking the word of God. Get out! And he's like, oh, I'm her pastor. I said, no, you're not. Because her pastor would not say that to her. Right? That's not how we look at things. Who's guilty of sin in this room? What do I deserve? 
Death. What kind of death? Temporal and eternal. That's what I deserve. The fact that I'm alive today. All praise and glory goes to God. So we don't ever walk up to any other sinner and say, what'd you do? It's your fault that that happened to you. No. No. We point them to the glory of God. We weep with them. We pray with them. We work with them, right? And we point them to the glory of God. So what did the Pentecostal do to... He walked out. I, I kicked him out. I told him he can't come back. You didn't punch him? <laughs> I, I literally walked him out of the room and said, don't ever come back. And her, her parents, yeah. I got a little bit of trouble with the parents, but... Well, the fact that she had cancer was a problem, but isn't there some truth to why I'm sitting in the spot I'm in? Yeah, it is your fault. Right. But see, there's, there's a difference in saying... I'm a sinner, and therefore this is, you know, whatever. And saying this specific illness has befallen you, and you haven't been healed because of your lack of faith or because of your sin. No, 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 no. Now, there are things I can look at you and say, well, you know, if you wouldn't have done that, you might not be sitting here today, right? So there are consequences of our actions that we have to deal with sometimes. And we have to be honest about that. But again, even in that, and I know that this could be a little controversial, it's okay. I don't mind. Even in that, be careful. Because you do not want to see all the consequences of your sin that you are not dealing with today. God has been merciful to you to remove consequences of your sins. Right? So let's not get all high and mighty about telling somebody else that it's their fault they're in the position they're in. Right. Right. Exactly. But the but the fact the fact that you are sitting here, yeah. even at the, the table you got in trouble, <laughs> is because of right. And what does John? What does Jesus say in John nine? The glory of God might be revealed. So what do we hear? What do we hear today in church in the, in the gospel reading? So when we're when we're done serving, it goes, oh man, you are so awesome. You say, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're at that table. <laughs> no, so what do we say as, as Christians? We say, no, 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 it's, it's not to us, O oh Lord, not to us be the glory. Right? All the glory goes to God. Right, so, so us worthless sinners, we don't ever say, yeah, look at me, look how awesome I am. No, we say, look at what God does. Look at the work of God. Right? This is what he does, even for sinners like me. A lot of people would believe that the AIDS crisis came because of the punishment uh-huh. of yeah. our homosexual behavior. Right. That, that explains the common cold. <coughs> and 9 11. See, we waste all of our time trying to figure out the mind of God. What we should be doing is proclaiming Christ as the Savior of this entire world. So, it's funny because Jesus like knew this stuff was going to happen. So go to Luke 13. (laughs) See, there you go. That's where he is. That's exactly right. 
Luke 13. This is a good passage to have in the back of your head. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Are those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish. You too will all perish. Uh Uh-oh. There goes the blame game. There goes the labeling them as worse sinners game. Right? What do you do when there's disaster in this world? What does Jesus say? Repent. Repent. What do you do? The the reality is whether we've done a few sins or a lot of sins, if you don't repent and if you're not in Christ, then you're going to hell. That's right. So it doesn't matter if you're really bad or not. (laughs) So who cares? Right? Who cares? Oh, you've got 40 billion sins. I've only got 10 billion sins cares right you you still repent right repent and this is this is so much of our reaction and and um when we talk about lutheran theology this is one of the glories of lutheran theology is when we say that we preach and believe in the theology of the cross okay what it means, not just that we understand suffering is where God is revealed, but it also means that we don't look at life thinking that we're the hero. You don't walk through life thinking you're the hero. Which means that removes us walking around going, well, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with those people? Why did God do that to them? But no, 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 no. That's not theology. That's, that's theology of glory. That's theology of saying, well... That didn't happen to me because I'm better. I drove by a car accident yesterday and I yelled out those, the car went, you sinners! I'm good to go because I teach Bible class. Wait, that's stupid, right? No, everybody would do that. But that's what we do. We look at something and we go, well, those people... But my life is pretty good because actually I am good enough that God would... No, 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 no. Uh-uh. There's no room for that. What do we do? Anything that God gives to us, what do we do? We thank Him because He gives it to us as a gift that we do not deserve. And if anybody is in need, what do we do? We love them with the love of God. If you are free today to not be suffering from an illness or a tragedy or a financial problem, Well, guess what? That allows you to serve those who are facing those things. Right? So we don't don't walk around judging. And yet, we also don't lie about the reality of sin. It's a balance, right? It's always a balance. Okay, so number four. Oh, yes, sorry, Jim. We're all going to die. 
Boy, are you happy today. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, so we're all going to die, right? So go ahead. What's your... Well, you were talking about the man, you know, saying his sins greater than mine or whatever. I mean, it's, it's all going to catch up with, with, you know, everyone. See, and that's the problem is if you get in this whole cycle of, well, God will definitely heal you if your faith is strong enough and you pray. Eventually, it doesn't work for everybody. And it won't, that means it doesn't work for anybody. Right? What you're saying is that at some point in life, we just get so old that our faith stops working. How do you explain death? See, that theology doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't work. We're going to die, and that's because of sin. So instead of dealing with, why am I laying here sick? You might want to deal with the sin problem. And the only one who can deal with that is Christ. So let's get people to Christ. Let's proclaim Christ. Roger. A little while ago, you put two words together that I didn't like. Okay. You said worthless sinner. And no sinner is worth less than any other sinner. You took Christ on the cross. Uh-huh. John 3, 16. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, we have to think about it. For, what to confront somebody's sin is to lead them to the cross and not to convict them and not condemn them of their sin. Right. So, so the law condemns them. It says you're worthless. There's nothing in you that's good. It's awful. Right? And that, and that drives us to say, well, then how do I deal with this humanity? How do I deal with my issue? And, we, and that, that's where Christ comes. But Christ says something better. Christ pronounces you not worthless, but loved. Right? Not, not left wallowing in your sin. God has done something to save you, right? That's where the gospel comes in. So you're right. You always walk in bearing Christ into this reality. Okay? Good Good point. Very good. Thank you for that. Robin, do you have? Um, well, I just want to say that like, I'm at a hospital, and, uh-huh. and so a lot of people die, and uh-huh. especially a lot of elderly people. But I think as a culture, I'm shocked that that, so it's usually the adult children that I'm working with, mm-hmm. that they're very upset and angry. They, they can't imagine that their parent is going to die. And, and I just think, what has happened to our society? I, I just find it, and it, it I, you know, I've been doing this for, for mm-hmm. years, and it's, right. it's gotten so much worse. It's gotten worse. Oh, it's, yeah. it's incredible. And it's, this is, this is the, the result mm-hmm. of a society that has worked for a very long time to pretend that death doesn't exist. You ever been to a funeral? You ever heard that the person died? <laughs> or do you hear that they passed on? <clears throat> or they've fallen asleep? We use all these euphemisms. In hospital, they expire. They expire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, you they. Think people, uh, you think. They're so health conscious. I'm going to do this and this and this. Right. So I'm not going to get those right. diseases, or I'm not going to eat this because it causes cancer. I'm not uh-huh. going to do that. And uh, I, we were talking to Gerhard Mundinger at the convention, and he's a heart surgeon retired. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, people can do all kinds of stuff, but eventually everybody dies. So mm-hmm. you need to be conscious of taking good care of yourself. But you can't. There's no magic pill that. Everything you do is going to keep you from ever dying. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you, I, don't, I don't mean to break it to you guys, but sinners die. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. I, I, it's just life. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. And I said, you didn't mean that? And every single person, because of Adam, inherited death. Death came through Adam. But life came through Christ. See, this is what we're proclaiming. This is why we're here. This is why we come to this place. Because we are born into the trap of death. That's just, that's life, sorry. That's concupiscence. That's original sin. You are born dead. And you're going to die. But Christ walks in as the resurrection and the life, and he says, I died the death that you deserve, so now even when you die, yet you shall live. Right? And the problem is when we minimize death, we also minimize the resurrection. Which is why we, we, we need to speak truth about these things. You need to speak truth. People aren't basically good. People are sinful. Okay? So, do you hate sinners? Roger? Help us out here, Roger. No way. No way. Because, why? I don't care if we're all sinners. We can still hate each other. Well, Jesus loves us and he told us to love. Good, good. It starts, okay. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the root of our love. Every single person you see today, when you walk out of this place, guess how God feels about them? He loves them. How do you know that? He sent his son. For the sins of the whole world, he sent his son. Which means how then do you see that person? You love them with the love of God. Yeah? Okay? That's how we do this. But that loving with the love of God means we don't lie about the things God has told us. There is sin. And there's consequences. And one of them is death. You know, and don't sin. All right, number four. What do we do now that we are forgiven? We sin as much as we can because God's not going to send us to hell anyway. You live as forgiven children, which means you do not sin. This just in, the Christian life is one of not sinning. Did you know that? If you think Christian freedom means you get to sin and not get in trouble for it, you've been lied to. The Christian life, Christian freedom, is the freedom from sinning to live holy and decent lives. 1 John chapter 2 begins this way. Dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, it's not, it's not that we're set free from sinning so that we can sin. It's set free so that we do not sin. That's your charge today. Do not sin. 
When you have a decision this afternoon and you can either sin or serve God, which one do you choose? Serve God. There's no option here. You're not allowed to choose the sin option because you are forgiven of your sins, which means your sin has been removed from you. So living in Christ means living without sin. sin. Do you know what it's what you call it when you never ever sin for all of eternity? You know what you call that? Death. Heaven. <laughs> Bliss. <laughs> yeah. Death is not that. Death is actually sinning forever and ever. <laughs> Okay? <laughs> Living according to the will of God, always and only, is what we call bliss. And the Bible says, why not start now? But all of our righteous deeds are like Right. No so you do. don't do it in order to get God's favor. You live without sin because of God's favor. Now, how y'all doing with that? <laughs> Not so good. So, we always live in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ so that your baptismal grace says to you, you are always forgiven. Right? And about the time you say, you walk and you go, well, I was in Bible class and Kevin told me to not sin, so I didn't sin. I'll see you Wednesday night, and you'll be like, I haven't sinned since Sunday. <laughs> then what's it our job to do? If we say we have no sin, we'd receive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, that's not how we go. What is, how does that continue? You've got to see 1 John chapter 1. The point of this is, if you say you're not a sinner, you're calling God a liar. We don't want to do that. So if we believe in God, we have to confess that we are sinners, and yet our goal is to live without sin. Now, when you accomplish that, do you walk up to God and say, look at me, I did it? No. We'll never accomplish it, and even if you did, it's not the point. Even if you are able to live a perfectly sinless life, are you God? What are you? You're his creature. Right? There is only one man who could walk up and properly take his place at the throne of God. His name is Jesus. To him alone be glory. Okay? So this is, this is what Jesus is getting at even here with this man. He goes, don't sin anymore. Okay? So, number five. We're not going to get to the new part. Why is it okay for Jesus to work on the Sabbath? He is the Sabbath. Because he is the Sabbath, right. Because he is the embodiment of the Sabbath. But why is it okay for him to do that in the state of humiliation? Because he's God, but that's, yeah, but that's coming later. Right. Because the Father's working. Um. This is going to be the argument in the rest of the chapter. Is that Jesus is not doing anything apart from the Father doing it. Everything he does is because the Father's doing it. 
And so he's like, you want to yell at me for breaking the Sabbath? I'm only doing what God the Father is doing. And I say, who do you think you are? And they figure out real quick who he thinks he is. He's making himself equal to God. So, Roger? I just had, I just had a question. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. And yes. Day, he rested on the seventh day. And then he, just, he worked until Christ rests mm-hmm. in the tomb. on the Sabbath day. Is mm-hmm. that all right? That's one way to look at it. Um, so the question is, was, is there a time or was there a time when the Father stopped working? And so in Genesis chapter 2, we have the seventh day of creation in which it says that God ceased from all of his labors. He rested. Okay? Was he actually not doing anything? No. The Sabbath is for us. Right? Yeah. And so so was he keeping the earth spinning? Or did he just take a break? See, it's God is never actually not being God. So even the rest of God is not him being totally and he's not just watching college football and falling asleep. That's nothing, right? He's he's still working. But he's not doing that work. He's not. He's done creating, right? The creation is finished. It's, it's not. In, it's not lacking. There's nothing more he needs to do. It's. It's done. But God is still in the reality of being God, right? He's still providing for your needs. Yeah. Even on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying now that he's here. God is at work. As a matter of fact, and I know this is going to be hard to swallow for some people, but as a matter of fact, Jesus is actually teaching that now that he's here, God is, how do I want to say this? Because it's coming up. Jesus is the word of God being spoken. Okay? You guys, can you swallow that? Jesus is the actual word of God presently being spoken in his earthly ministry. Which means, what point of the creation story are we in? It's part of the speaking creation part, not the resting part. Okay, so when Jesus is present, God is speaking. During creation, did he speak on the Sabbath? No. He speaks on all the other days. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Then nothing. Okay? So while Jesus is here, God is speaking. He's working. Okay? That's actually what Jesus is going to say in the next little section. So, so Jesus himself will then be the completion of that speaking. And when will he complete that speaking? John 19, on the cross, Jesus says, it's finished. Okay? 
And then what does he do? He goes to the tomb, and on the seventh day, what does he do? Nothing. He rests. On the Sabbath day, he rests. He dies on Friday. He rests on Saturday. And on Sunday, he goes to church. Because he's a good Christian. Okay? That's what happens. Okay? So it's part of the Gospel of John is actually a retelling of the week of creation as Jesus is the fulfillment of the week of creation. So, now this is a bigger problem. Well, we'll go to number six. Who is Jesus? He's the word of God being spoken. He's, the, he's God incarnate. He's the son of God. He's also... He is... I know this is going to be exactly right. He's the content of the Old Testament. It's all about him. You cannot say that the Sabbath rest is something outside of Christ. And this is the point that Jesus is going to make eventually, is that whatever he does, is the proper fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Okay, and this is something that I want to keep saying over and over and over until you guys either agree with me or, or prove me wrong. But I think you agree with me. Is that we're over here, right? We're stick Christians over here, and the Old Testament's over here, and we read it, we want to do this. We want to say, well, it's God's word, therefore it applies to me. So we find weird verses in Ezekiel. And we say, if I do that, then God's got to do that because he promised. And Jesus says, no, that's not how you read it. You read it like this. You read the entire Old Testament as fulfilled in Christ. You don't read any of the Old Testament outside of Christ. That's actually coming up in about 30 verses or 20 verses now at this point. In chapter 5, he's going to say this. If you read the scriptures as being fulfilled in anything other than me, you're not reading them according to God's will. And you will not believe as a result of that bad reading of scripture. The only way to read the scriptures is as though they're about me. So when you read the Sabbath, I can't be violating the Sabbath as Jesus because I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus cannot break the Ten Commandments because he is the fulfillment of the law. Right? If you want to learn how to have no gods before Yahweh, where do you look? Jesus. He's the one that did it. If you want to learn what it means to honor the Sabbath by keeping holy, what do you do? Look at Jesus, because he's the one that did it perfectly. He kept the Sabbath. He honored his father and mother. He never killed. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't steal. He didn't bear false witness. He didn't covet. And I'm serious, he didn't covet. Right? Look at Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law. And so we learn to live in him.
right? So they're coming and saying, well, Jesus broke the Sabbath. Well, that's the next section. They're going to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And he's like, I, I, I can't break the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually a prophecy about me. So how do you get rest now that Christ has come? How do y'all get rest now that Christ has come? Y'all. What's your rest? In Christ what? You know that's the right answer, but how is it restful? We're in sacrament. You know that's the right answer because you're Lutheran. What does that give you rest from? Forgiveness of sins. Faith. What does it give you rest from? Working to please God. I just told you, today your job is to not sin. Did I say that you have to not sin so that God will love you when you go to bed tonight? No, because you don't do that. Rest. Rest in this. The work has been done for you. The righteousness of God has been given to you. You don't have to work to earn that. You don't have to work to earn God's favor. You don't have to work to earn salvation. You don't have to. The work has been done. So, how do you remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy? Don't despise preaching in His Word through which you receive Christ and His accomplished work. Don't, don't despise it, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Because when the Word of God is proclaimed, what do you receive? Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the grace of God, and you're at rest. So I'm going I'm to honor Sabbath day by not sinning. We say, well, that's what you do as a result of the Sabbath. That's not your way to keep the Sabbath. Your way to keep the Sabbath is to hear from God His gifts. Come to the Lord's Supper. Receive from God the very body and blood of Christ and therein receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Right? Does that make sense? See, so this is what's going on. This whole Sabbath thing is, is Jesus is moving the conversation from laws and how we keep the Sabbath to the reality of his ministry being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Okay? Questions, thoughts before we go? See? I'm not sure how the phraseology would work. Is Jesus kind of announcing, okay, maybe God's rested from his work. Now I'm here, and a new work has begun. That's the language of Isaiah, is the new work. Um, Behold, I am making all things new. I am doing a new thing. That's Isaiah language. And it does get picked up in the New Testament with the ministry of Jesus. That's the language of of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That for the love of Christ compels us because we believe that that he died and therefore all have died. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them was raised again. And then, and then, and that's that's fourteen and fifteen. And then Second Corinthians five sixteen says this: So we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer, because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, that's where that line gets. That in Christ, this new creation has come. So it's a new work. But it's but here's the thing: in the Bible, it's and it's sometimes it's better to read it this way. It's not new as in God messed up, we're going to start again. It's, it's renewed. As in, the creation is good, right? Sin has messed that up. What God is doing in Christ is recreating. Not 
a different one, but bring us back to the way that he made it. Does that, even that language is kind of weird. But does that make sense? It's not a brand new idea. It's, it's, it's Jesus coming to restore the creation to the Father because sin has broken it. Okay? All of creation. Even the trees. Does that make sense? Does that help, Steve? Still thinking through things. Okay. Almost like God rested. Mm-hmm. But then now it's like God's back at work. It's yeah. And, and that's kind of what I'm thinking is he announcing that. Yeah. Yeah. God has shown up and he is at work. That that's a good way to say it. That God has shown up and now he's working. Explicitly working. In his son Jesus. And this is the final work. Okay. Let's pray. Then we'll go. Lord God Heavenly Father, work in us. By your Holy Spirit, work faith in our hearts. Work in us a love for your word and keep us from sinning that we might serve you with our lives and serve our neighbors each and every day. And when we do sin, draw us back to Christ, the one redeemer for all sinners, that trusting in him we may rejoice that we are your children. In Jesus' name. Thank you all. Thank you.